Good evening, everyone. This is Bob Trout bringing you the news of Europe. According to the Press Radio Bureau, in a few hours, Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain will be back in London to tell his cabinet what occurred today in his final talk with Chancellor Adolf Hitler. At Gothenburg, the Prime Minister, after a three-hour conversation with der Fuhrer, has announced that he will submit to the Czech government some proposals which represent Adolf Hitler's last word on what he will accept in return for keeping out of Czech territory. The Prime Minister would not say what the proposals consist of, but he did say the situation is not entirely hopeless. Now, as Mr. William Shira, Columbia Central Euro- European correspondent, told us from Gothenburg not long ago, Adolf Hitler and Mr. Chamberlain have issued a joint communique which said, and I quote, the friendly conversations of the German leader and Mr. Chamberlain ended today with the handing over of a German memorandum containing Germany's final attitude regarding the situation in the Sudeten German country. Mr. Chamberlain undertook to transmit the memorandum to the Czechoslovak government. And Mr. Chamberlain, accompanied by British ambassador Sir Neville Henderson and Sir Horace Wilson, paid his farewell visit in the presence of German Foreign Minister von Ribbentrop. The German dictator took an opportunity to express to Chamberlain his personal gratitude and that of the German nation for his efforts in favor of a peaceful settlement of the Sudeten question. The Prime Minister returns to England Saturday morning. And that is the end of the communique. Now in the studio with me here is Columbia's news analyst, Mr. H.P. Caltenborn, who is going to call England direct and find out what London is thinking about. For in our London studios are Edward R. Murrow, Columbia's chief European correspondent, waiting to hold a conversation at this end with Mr. Caltenborn. And now here is Mr. Caltenborn. Hello, Ed Murrow. Are you there? Hello, Ed. Calling London. Good evening, Hans. Good evening, Ed. Are you prepared to answer a few questions that I should like to put to you? I'll try. Here is the situation as we see it. Bob Trout has just read the last press radio bulletin, which gives the communique issued by both Hitler and Chamberlain. The first communique, which is a joint communique, and it is rather peaceful in tone. Does London, at this particular moment, share the beginning of a little optimism which we seem to feel over here? Well, according to the newspapers that are to be published in London London this morning... uh, uh, no great optimism is apparent. So far as the communique is concerned, the general feeling seems to be that the answer to that situation will be found in Czechoslovakia and not in London. You refer to the statement that Prime Minister Chamberlain made in which he said it is now up to the Czechs. That's right. Did you consider that as being, in a sense, uh, uh, a statement that uh, was rather washing his hands of the matter and indicating that it was up to the Czechs to decide their own fate? How did you regard that particular phrase? Well, I think that's a very difficult question, Hans, and it's one that really can't be answered until Mr. Chamberlain returns and makes some official statement. Uh, To whom will he make that statement? Well, it's presumed that there will be a meeting of the inner cabinet immediately after Mr. Chamberlain's return tomorrow. Then we can expect a statement the moment that cabinet meeting ends. Well, I'd hardly say that because uh, you'll remember there have been a number of cabinet meetings in the past year without any statements being issued. And it's a little difficult to predict just what will happen. I only thought that because of the generally tense situation that they would like to issue something as soon as they could. 
Well, I think it's generally expected that they will, but uh, there's been no definite announcement on it. Have you had any further report of military action in the Sudeten area? Well, there are still rumors and counter-rumors, but uh, in the course of the last two hours, I've not received any reports of additional activities in the Sudeten areas. We have a definite indication that the Sudetans have occupied the Ash district. That, as you remember, is that curious, narrow, little salient that projects into Germany and surrounded on all sides by German territory. And according to our information, the Czech troops have stopped just short of that salient and are evidently making no effort to reoccupy it, and the Sudetans now control that. Does well, that agree with your information? Well, so far, there's no definite confirmation of that statement here. Uh, we have uh, here reports that the Hungarian cabinet is meeting in special session and also indications that the Poles are very much excited over the situation. Have you anything further on the movements of either one of those countries? Yes, well, the latest thing on the Polish situation here uh, is that the Poles have denied a statement that they allege to have been broadcast by the Czech broadcasting station this evening stating that the Poles had given up their claims to certain Czechoslovakian territory. Yes, that, uh, of course... Uh, uh, is out of the question because we had tonight a broadcast from the former Polish consular to the Washington Embassy in which he very strongly reiterated Poland's claim to the Teschen district. In fact, I was hoping that I could persuade the Czech minister to London to make a little comment on that Teschen district because we've only had the Polish point of view on it. And I thought perhaps he would like to say a little something about it from the Czech point of view. Well, now that you speak of the Czechoslovakian minister in London, Hans, uh, he's sitting here just on the opposite side of this table. And as you know, is Jan Masaryk. Now, this afternoon, a New York telephoned me to say that uh, Mr. Masaryk, at the request of Duncan Moore out at station WJR in Detroit, had agreed to speak tonight, uh, provided a microphone could be installed in the Czech legation. Well, unfortunately, there wasn't sufficient time to install that microphone in the Czech legation. So I telephoned to Mr. Masaryk and asked rather hesita hesitatingly whether or not he would come to the studios at the hour of 4 o'clock in the morning in London and talk to the United States. He agreed to do so. And judging from the activity that's been going on in the Czech legation, the conferences that Mr. Masaryk has had... I think we're very fortunate indeed that he's come here this morning at 4 o'clock in London to talk to you. Will, uh, will you present him to the American audience, Ed? Right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not going to say the right honorable Jan Masaryk because he's told me he prefers to be known as just Jan Masaryk, Czech minister to London. This is for me quite an unexpected pleasure to visualize millions of the citizens of the great American democracy listening to me. And at the same time, it's an unexpected responsibility, believe me. It has been a very long day for me. It's four o'clock in the morning in London, and I have not overslept myself lately. Today, my beloved little country ordered a general mobilization. We have definitely decided to resist aggression and I can tell you that this move 
was not made without the knowledge of France and Great Britain. Quite the contrary. In very few words, the history of the last few weeks and days has been about as follows. Lord Runciman came to Prague as a meditator. We welcomed him, the Sudeten Germans welcomed him, and gave him on both sides all the facilities to learn the real facts of the situation. Before he was quite able to finish his task, Mr. Chamberlain, in a definitely honest endeavor to save the peace of the world, went to Berster's garden to discuss the fate of my country with Herr Hitler. The visit of the French statesman in London followed, and my government was suddenly, without in any way having been consulted, faced with a plan which meant, to say the least, a permanent crippling of my country. After terribly painful, hard, and tearful deliberation, we accepted this plan in full, in toto, as they say in Latin, and in full confidence that this time France and England will not forsake us. And there the matter stands at the minute. Mr. Chamberlain is again visiting Herr Hitler, and at this moment he is being handed a memorandum containing Mr. Hitler's considered and final opinion of the Sudeten German question. He will deliver it to us tomorrow. What the memorandum contains, I have no idea. Just as I had no idea what the Anglo-French plan was till 24 hours after it had been decided upon. I hope and pray that it will be acceptable to us and that a neighborly relation, relation will at last be established worthy of such proud peoples as the Germans on one side and the Czechoslovaks on the other. My people have gone further in self-restraint, discipline, international solidarity in these last few days than anyone could have expected. And I am more proud than I ever was to be a citizen of Czechoslovakia. We shall study Mr. Hitler's proposal with goodwill and the same spirit of conciliation which made us swallow many little pills and bitter pills in the last few days. But I solemnly declare that we shall not give in on the fundamental issues. We believe in democracy, humanitarianism, freedom of religion and speech, and the importance of the individual. I personally insist on reading the Bible and reading the poems by Heine. Whether Heine was a Jew or not does not interest me in the least. He is the author of Lorelei, the most beautiful German poem I know. And now I want to tell you that my country has not been perfect always. We've made mistakes. We are young and unexperienced. But we are proud to be a democracy where a mistake can be said, can be acknowledged, and where it can be rectified. But please know this, and I'm speaking in a very serious mood tonight. Our German minority was treated better 
than any other in Europe. And if it would not have been for the shocking propaganda from across the border, we and our Sudeten Germans, among whom I have hundreds of personal friends, would have settled our differences with dignity and without bloodshed. My father was buried just a year ago. My United Nation is assembled around his simple village grave, firmly resolved to safeguard the principles he laid down for us. And we are convinced that truth, decency, freedom and love will triumph in the end. We shall defend it to our last breath. I tell you, Americans, our powder is dry. As one who has spent many years in America, who knows and loves it, who earned his first dollar in the New York City when he was 19 years old, as one whose mother was an American, and as a citizen of a small country where St. Wenceslaus and John Huss are our two native heroes and patrons, I greet you, brother Democrats, and may God give us peace. May he replace hatred by love and deliver us from evil. Good night to you all. There is one more thought I have in my head. I know there are many of my countrymen who are listening in at the moment, people who perhaps fought in the last war to allow Bohemia and Slovakia to be free. Will you majority allow me to speak this minority in their own tongue and tell them something. Bratsi, nebojíme se a nedáme se. Bratia, nedáme se a nezradíme vás. Demokraciu ani americkou, ani československou nedáme. Děkujeme vám ještě dneska za to, že jste mojmu otcovi pomáhali za tamtej války. Prosím vás pěkně, jsem malým synem velkého oce. Pomožte mě trochu, abychom zase vyhráli a abychom mohli říct, že pravda vítězí, zvítězí a musí zvítězit. Dej vám pánbu všem dobrou noc. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. That concludes the remarks of Mr. Jan Masaryk. Ed, may I, may I ask you just this question? Have you communicated with Prague recently? Um, I've not been able to communicate with Prague in the course of uh, the last, I should say, seven or eight hours. Yes, we too have only been able to get uh, shortwave broadcasts from there. Uh, Ed, I have one or two dispatches here which I think perhaps uh, as long as you're on the wire, you'd be interested in hearing. One of them uh, confirms your statement just now that the morning papers of London uh, strike rather a pessimistic note. This bulletin says that the British public was warned in its morning newspapers today that war may not be far distant. And uh, the London press was unanimous in taking an extremely grave view of the cost of negotiations. Well, Hans, uh, let me break in there a moment to tell you that... Uh... Uh, they undoubtedly take a grave view of the situation, but at the same time, 
this morning's newspapers in London reflect a very considerable change. And I'll give you one illustration of that. You remember that the London Times was the paper that first issued in its editorial the suggestion of the session of certain of the Sudeten areas. Yes, I remember that. Now, the Times this morning will say, if diplomacy is now ordered out and the soldiers ordered in, is this preference for force as force to justify the sacrifices which a general conflict will exact from the German people? And it goes on to say in the end, if the German press has faithfully stated German policy, then here is an issue on which every British citizen without exception knows where he stands. Now that seems to us here in London a rather significant change on the part of the Times, which in many political circles has been considered to be the pro-German newspaper in London. Yes, and it confirms what you told me this morning, that if Chamberlain came back after having failed, after all the efforts that he had made, that, he had made, that every Britisher would stand behind him. But here is a dispatch that has just come in from Godesberg, Germany, which strikes a much more optimistic note. Here is what it says. German official says that when the British Prime Minister Chamberlain goes before the British House of Commons and makes public the letters which he and Adolf Hitler exchanged today, Chamberlain will become the most popular man in England. This official said to the United Press, quote, These letters will show who it is that wants war. Chamberlain really served the cause of peace. The Sudeten German territory had already been surrendered to us when the Czech government accepted the British-French proposals, but Czechoslovakia went back on her promise. That, of course, represents the German point of view. Whether or not they are right in assuming that the exchange of letters will make Chamberlain popular and will, according to their point of view, put the blame on the Czechs rather than on England, well, uh, that I don't know. I thought you'd be interested in hearing that bulletin. Yes, well, I'd like to make only one answer to that, Hansen, and this is based entirely on British press comment. And that is this. If one can judge from the tone of the British press, this country is in no mood to accept any plan that demands further concessions from Czechoslovakia. Yes. I'm, I'm not giving you our personal opinion. I'm trying to reflect what one finds in the London press. Well, uh, thank you, Ed. I think we ought to give you a chance now to get at least a little sleep. There's just one final bulletin which you haven't had. Yes. Do you want it? Yes, please. Uh, perhaps you have it there already, but it has been learned at the Admiralty early this evening that precautionary measures, in addition to those already announced, are being taken by the Admiralty. These measures involve the recall of a certain number of men from leave and the bringing up of a few ships to full complement. Thank you, Ed, and good night. Good night, Hans. And even as Europe tries to find some sleep, Columbia continues its extensive news coverage, and this network will stay open until at least 2 a.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time this morning to bring you the latest news as it happens on the tense European situation. So I suggest that you keep tuned to this station in order to hear the latest news of the situation in Europe as we receive it across the sea. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.